Welcome to Dog Talk and Kitties 2. This episode features one of the three guests on my hour-long NPR show, heard every Sunday on WLIW-FM 88.3, the only NPR station on Long Island, where it has broadcast continuously for 14 years. I'm Tracy Hotchner. I wrote the Dog Bible, Everything Your Dog Wants You to Know, as well as the Cat Bible, Everything Your Cat Expects You to Know, because I care about people who care about cats, dogs, and other creatures who share our planet. I'm also the founder and director of the New York Dog Film Festival and the New York Cat Film Festival, which travel America and Canada supporting local animal welfare groups. I could not bring you this show without the support of Dr. Elsie's, the privately owned litter and cat food company founded by Dr. Elsie, a feline-only veterinarian who's created a variety of litters to please any cat, as well as inventing clean protein cat foods based on the protein found in cats' natural prey. This show is also made possible with the generous sponsorship of Waruva, the family-owned foreman pet food company named after their rescued kitties, Webster, Rudy, and Vanessa, where all their recipes in cans and pouches are human edible because they're made in a human food facility. Good enough for you to eat, but your cats won't appreciate that. I am so happy to welcome to the show and really very excited to meet Sang Hyung Lee. He's the dog meat campaigner for Humane Society International in Korea, where I am speaking to him. And Sang Hyung, welcome to the show. And first and foremost, thank you so much for the very hard work you've done for years to try and shut down, diminish, and extinguish the dog meat trade in South Korea. I understand that socially it's a challenge and an uphill battle. And I think it must be, it must take a lot of determination and courage to keep going without the success that you wish you'd had, right? I mean, is part of the problem that the government in South Korea has said, yes, we must look into this and change it, but they aren't doing anything? Is that, do you consider that one of the really big obstacles to change? Yeah, hello, Tracy. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited to be here. Um, yeah, you you got a point. So, a government last year um, set up a government task force to see a way to phase out dog meat consumption practice in South Korea. But they said, without social consensus, obviously, we can't just push forward. And I think there are some obstacles during the discussion between stakeholders within this industry and animal welfare groups, animal rights protection groups and government government institutions. So yeah, that's one of the concerning reasons why we can't um, quickly finish um, face out the industry. Okay, so let me, let me ask, what do you mean by a stakeholder? Is a stakeholder someone who owns a dog meat farm? Um, yeah, stakeholders means um, I'm not. Is I I don't think is is it completely revealed to the public mm-hmm. and all other animal organizers organization groups. But um, as far as I know, stakeholders include um, farmers associations and dog meat traders associations and some animal protection groups and related governmental institutions. So the animal protection groups would not be trying to keep the dog meat trade in place. It would be the opposite, right? 
Yeah, of course. I just just yeah. to be clear, I mean because there, you know, there's there's organizations in America that have a name that sounds like animal welfare, dog welfare, and they work very hard to keep puppy mill farms in business, which is separate. You know, it's a different kind of cruelty to animals, obviously, than raising them to eat them, but they are raised like farm animals and that is distressing to people in Great Britain or America with, you know, different ideas about how puppies should be bred and raised. But we're talking about yeah. an industry in a, in a social context. The part that I found hard to understand from a social perspective, and I was, I'm looking very much forward to hearing it from you, is that when I interviewed Jeffrey Flocken, who's the head of Humane Society International for, for the Humane Society of the United States, a week or so ago, and I said, I, I don't understand. If Nielsen, Nielsen, you know, that does surveys, Nielsen Korea yeah. commissioned by HSI Korea, Humane Society International Korea, just in October of 2022, and it said 85% of Koreans say they have never eaten dog meat or will not do so. And 56% of the population support a dog meat ban. So how powerful could this economic engine be of raising dogs for a year and then slaughtering them and eating them if 85% of the population has never touched dog meat nor wants to? Where is the, you know, everything in life, you know, this is driven by money. You and I have morals and ethics and things we believe in and care about, but money is the driver of things in societies, all societies. So where is the money here? Like if you follow the money, if 85% of people won't touch dog meat, then where? what is this industry fueled by? Or are people not telling the truth? Yeah, I mean, that's a good point. So yeah, recent survey revealed that there are many surveys were going around um, here, this year's as well, government survey and some other organization survey, and also ours as well. Um, the, the thing is, the consumption of dog meat is decreasing in South Korea rapidly. So, uh, however, there are still demands for dog meat. So the industry is, is still there, but the, the size of the industry is diminishing. So, yeah, I mean, the in terms of money, where well, I'm not 100% clear about how the economic um, right. <laughs> works in this industry, but yeah, but I, what I can definitely um, confirm is that the size of the industry is decreasing and the consumption and demand, demand for dog meat is also decreasing among the public. And yet the South Korean government, although they've said they would have a task force and do something about it, there must be a lobby. Now, when I think of the Humane Society of the United States, which you obviously are very familiar with how it works, it has done brilliant work over many, many decades of lobbying in Washington, D.C. against special interest groups that wanted to protect the various ways that animal cruelty can take place, whether it's in commerce or whether it's in entertainment, greyhound racing, cockfighting, dogfighting, or the way poultry and pigs are raised. So, we know that these lobbies are very powerful, driven by massive amounts of money. Or when you say stakeholders in South Korea, is that a way of referring in what we might think of in Western terms as a lobby, that there's powerful entities at work lobbying to retain dog meat farms 
even though the consumption of dog meat is so low and getting smaller all the time? Is it a lobby? Are powerful rich people somehow wanting to protect mm -hmm. dog meat farms? I don't believe that's happening in South Korea, fortunately. And um, when I said stakeholders and the um, people having a discussion in 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 task force, it's not like um, the people behind the farmers association or like animals, animal uh, organizations mm -hmm. as well. So is I do not want to say that but it is it is the fact i think that the dog meat consumption was a kind of what type of practice in in south korea in the previous time so the government can't just um shut down all dog meat farms at once right mm -hmm. so there are there are industry there are people working in the industry and the farmers who have worked in the industry like more than 20 30 years so government should understand it and our approach is also not to demonize people working in the industry but right. to work with the industry mm -hmm. and understand them um, um try to be in their position so um that's the reason why um it might be not the fastest way to face out the industry but probably the the most sustainable way and humane way to um, work with the people and um, for the animals and to, to finish this animal cruelty in South Korea. So it, when we talk about the people that work in these industries and perhaps their father and their grandfather were dog meat farmers and maybe they have 20 dogs or 50 dogs. I don't know how many dogs a farmer would have. There's obviously not industrial-sized farming, I don't imagine. You've done something quite brilliant called Models for Change, I mean, truly brilliant, really thinking outside the box, which is to give these farmers options with a lot of support and advice and information and maybe even money to learn how to farm something other than dogs, maybe something easier to farm than dogs because dogs are not necessarily easy to farm. Live animals are complicated, more complicated than chili plant and parsley growing or water truck delivery, which are some of the things that you've transitioned 17 previous dog yeah. meat farms to do. Is, is this very labor intensive for you and your other campaigners? Do you have to send a certain number of people to the farms and show respect for the, the dog meat farmers? And uh, how, do you, how do you transition them? How do you convince them that growing parsley, which is one of the things that I guess you use a lot of parsley in <laughs> South Korea, I guess it's worth money, how do you help them, you know, get rid of the dogs, get rid of the cages, get rid of the, I guess, the slaughter takes place on the same farms and replace it with an agricultural crop? How do you do that? Um, before I answer your question, just one thing to clarify um, is, um, there are industrial scale farming is there in the dog meat industry. So there are like um, the biggest, big size farm usually have um, 500 to 1,000 dogs oh, I see. in a farm. So that's... Um, so yeah, that's, that's the lobby. That's the stakeholder. Problem. That's a big operation. I see. They could be a part of, member of Farmers Association and right. Meat Traders Association. Yeah. And then 
Yeah, to answer your questions, yeah, it's very labor intensive and sometimes like mentally, physically um, demanding work, meeting those farmers. That's right. And trying trying to persuade them to move on to other industry. Um, but surprisingly, the most farmer I've met on dog meat farms injured their legs and arms and had diseases while working in the industry and they are aware of their um, business is diminishing and there are no bright future but they actually don't know how to get by once they leave the industry so i think that's the um there's a starting point and then um we humane society and other campaign um, campaigners uh, approach to them and listen to their story and just have a com um, casual conversation about dogs and animals and sometimes they said they love animals and they love dogs so that they started that business um, is is sometimes nonsense but um, <laughs> try to understand yeah, yeah, in other words, you try type, you try yeah. to be respectful of them, not as you said, not demonize them, and not come to them with hatred and anger, which which would be kind of the easy thing to do. But try and have compassion for the fact that they still have to put food yeah. on their own tables and keep a roof over their family's head, and it's the only thing they know. It's the only life they've ever had. Let me ask you how the South Korean dog meat trade and in, and consumption compares to the northern part of China, where there are apparently just some very, quote-unquote, old-fashioned enclaves in the northern part of China. Mm -hmm. Same thing. The, the Chinese people, or particularly the younger generation, wants to shut down these dog meat farms, and those mm -hmm. are just a number of dogs slaughtered by – one sees pictures – by the side of the road in a village – you know, and put on a little tray, little pieces of a dog uh, for the people that still want to eat dog. And apparently it's being phased out as well. And I don't know if HSI has any presence in the northern part of China to help those people transition because at least from what one sees, and Humane Society International has made those pictures sometimes available, there is a strong sort of revolution against dog meat butchery and consumption in that part of China. Do you have that in South Korea? Are there people having, you know, marches or protesting socially? To against dog meat consumption? Yes. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, actually, we attended a um, rally in August calling the government to proactively um lead the conversation with stakeholders with the stakeholders so there were like nearly thousands of people attended wow. including public and the campaigners um from different animal protection organizations and we 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 marched to the presidential office and yeah sent a letter to the president nice and the yeah officers from the presidential office um, came out and had a had a letter calling um, proactive actions from the government. 
Did you get any results? I mean, it's frustrating. All governments are frustrating. <laughs> Government isn't really a thing, is it? It's a collection of humans in a variety of buildings. So we talk about government having power or control or how do you change government. It's pr pretty difficult. I know you, you're no closer to ending the industry a year after the government said it would have a task force. But in the end of the day, do you believe that governmental controls are going to be what changes this, are going to be what changes what society is already doing in South Korea, which is not eating dog meat. Do you think that the government in the end or is, is going to be the mover and the shaker, or will these public protests be what moves the needle? I think in the end, um, we, will, we will succeed our goal, so the government will support um what we are calling for i believe and then i can see that the government has set up the task force and then there are as i as far as i know there are lots of discussion um going on between governmental dis, um institutions and last month we had a government audit in parliamentary office and then the one of the national assembly members um criticized the ministry of food and drug minister um ministry of food and drug that they are not um acting and responding to illegal activities so i think there are um the pressure is increasing as well there's yeah. a will there and there's pressure that's increasing well, Sung Hyung, we've we've run out of time, but I just want you to know that we all admire what you're doing. And even though we're from afar, we're trying to understand, you know, a society that is making a really big shift in favor of animals that we all live with and love. And so thank you for doing that. Thank you on behalf of the, the 2,500 dogs that you've gotten out and been able to get to adoptive homes. But really more importantly, in my view, is the hundreds of thousands of dogs that are languishing in these horrible conditions and going to wind up being slaughtered for people that don't even want that meat. So thank you. Thank you for being there for the dogs. Thank you for being there for animals in general and for the really wonderful work you're doing. Just keep keep on believing that we all care and we're behind you, okay? Thank you very much. Thank you for encouraging me. And I will never stop until I um, um, see the, the end of the industry. Bravo. Yeah. That's perfect. Thank you so much, Sung Kyung Lee. Thanks for listening. There are a few more special companies that make this show possible. I hope you will support their products because they stand behind my mission, which is to educate and inspire while entertaining. Earth Animal, which is privately owned by Dr. Bob and Susan Goldstein, creates holistic pet wellness products with an emphasis on their stewardship of the Pet Sustainability Coalition. They make many non-chemical products for the inside and outside of your pets, as well as innovative foods like no-hide and the hybrid dry food wisdom, which sometimes is all that my blue wimer on or Maisie will eat. My other sponsor is Cradle, which makes CBD calming products to reduce stress for dogs using broad-spectrum CBD from U.S.-grown hemp, formulated with a proprietary blend of nutraceutical ingredients. My Wanda Weimaraner couldn't get through thunderstorms without their cradle melts. 
And I'm grateful to Evermore Pet Food, which is privately owned by two extraordinary women who cook dog food from the most pristine human edible ingredients and ship it to your door in frozen pouches. It is higher quality and more ethically sourced than my own food. Thank you for listening. I hope you've enjoyed this one guest version of Dog Talk and Kitties 2, and we'll listen to other episodes sometime soon.